Salut. Bienvenue au podcast de Tribble Trip. Welcome to the Travel Tribe Podcast. Bienvenidos a Travel Tribe. Today, we will be exploring a continent that has been getting more and more mentioned, Africa. Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, recently tweeted after his trip there on his admiration for the continent and his plans to move there for three to six months at some point in the future. On our show today, we have Dom, who will be sharing his ultimate road trip journey with us, five months across the entire continent of Africa, from Cape Town, South Africa, to Cairo, Egypt, to give you an idea of what it is like to travel Africa, including tips and tricks to effectively seeing as much as possible, safaris, how backpacking Southeast Asia compares to backpacking Africa, countries whose beauty left an impression on him, and finally some of the dangers and things to avoid. He also has some crazy stories ranging from flipping their first car right at the beginning of their trip, encounters with wildlife including elephants, rhinos, lions, and others, and even the time they got robbed in standing traffic. To give you a little background on Dom, he lives a quite adventurous life. After graduating as a mechanical engineer in Germany, he decided the office life wasn't for him, so he decided to move down under to work in the Australian gold mines. While at the gold mines, he will spend months just working to save up money. Once finished with his contract, he plans trips around the world, including a road trip from Berlin to Iran, five months across Africa, and many, many others. Please enjoy this entertaining yet illuminating episode of Travel Tribe. How's it going, boy? Man, I'm super excited for the show. Like I said, I, I remember you telling me about your trip that you were going to take and it felt like yesterday you were telling me about it and I'm super excited to talk about it today. So let's just dive right into it, man. What was the inspiration for the trip? Where did you get this idea to go to Africa? It is, it all started like I've done a couple of road trips, bigger ones. I don't know. I just, I really like doing road trips as a form of travel because got the opportunity like to go wherever you want more or less and um yeah you can you can really experience a country like straight from where the action is actually happening and so about three years ago i met a guy called dean you should know him here in thailand and we became friends immediately Mm -hmm. and so we were talking and i told him about my ideas about road trips and stuff and um he told me about he wanted to cross africa and it kind of like it was always on my list but for Europeans, you usually do it when you're 40, 50, or 60. And so, and he came up with that idea and he said, like, yeah, hey, I'm still looking for people to do that. At the beginning of last year, where I was on a road trip in Patagonia, when I was like, mate, this is exactly what I really love. And um, I probably should use this opportunity with Africa and probably just do it right now. So, I texted him and asked, like, hey, are you guys still keen to do Africa or are you still looking for a person and stuff like this? And he said, like, yeah, man, just come along. Like, we're two at the moment. We definitely need a third person. As soon as that seed was basically planted in my head, straight away, I knew like a day later or so on, like, yeah, I'm going to go to Africa by the end of the year. And man, it's been, it's been great. So how did you guys decide on five months? Where did the time limit come from? We all said, okay, it's going to be hard anyways to be together 24-7 with three people. I said, okay, I think two months is actually where we're going to start and have some conflicts and stuff. They said, like, well, there's no point. We, we can't make Africa in, in two months. Mm-hmm. So they've done a little bit of research, what other people 
needed time-wise and stuff like this. And then I said, like, yeah, well, it will definitely take five months. And also, so in some countries, are you, you're really limited to, like, 30 days or 40 days of visa. So kind of like you can't just do a visa run and then come back. So we had a very good travel itinerary, and it came out with, like, yeah, it's going to be five months in total. And um, for us, it was, we said, like, well, it's we're going to spend that much amount of money and um yeah after five months we should still be fine speaking of money uh you have a little very interesting lifestyle uh that helps fund these trips and be able to not only fund it but you can also you can also take this amount of time off can you tell us a little bit about your work experience and how you fund your lifestyle i kind of i finished university about three years ago but i was like well i'm not going into any office jobs or anything so i'm on any i'm a mechanical engineer now nah, that's way too boring. <laughs> so I headed over to, to Australia and um, talked a little bit to people like which kind of cool jobs they would have. And it turned out that actually the gold mines are constantly looking for people that are stupid enough to prostitute themselves, basically. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, well, that sounds about all right. Like I should definitely do that. I went over there a couple of times and it's absolutely great. So you basically work your ass off for 12 hours a day. You do that seven days a week and then a couple of weeks in a row and then you will get some weeks off as well. And usually it's about like you work four weeks without a break and then you have two weeks off or something. And since there's nothing to spend money on, you will save all your money <laughs> and then you, you can go traveling again. I remember talking when you were telling me about this, I was saying like this is a, an ideal uh, job opportunity for anybody who's like looking to do long distance travels because it seems like you kind of really put yourself into working for a while you know you don't really have a social life you're just grinding it out you're working the gold mines making a good chunk of change and then you take a nice duration of time and then you go on some some of these amazing trips and you know we're not gonna get into it today because we can talk all day about your trip from Munich to Iran and uh, get to go on these long travels or you're going now to Kotao and doing your tech courses for diving it's it's a really interesting lifestyle and I always tell people about that too it's, it's Let's, let, let's talk some details. How much money, if somebody was looking to do a road trip throughout uh, Africa, would you recommend uh, to save up before you go on this trip? We did it kind of like on a low budget, um, which means we really, also we had a tent. We tried to get it really as cheap done as possible, especially you can like save quite a bit on accommodation. Mm -hmm. But the big problem is, so um, you get a put down a lot of money for visas we talk like i spent alone 500 dollars on visas um and the big chunk is the car now it's not only the the price that you purchase the car which was like eight thousand dollars but the problem is since the african countries don't want you to dump your old car there that's exactly what we did in the iran road trip you gotta you gotta put down a deposit and the deposit for, especially for egypt is 200 percent of the car's value so we had to put down Back in South Africa, where we bought the car, about like $15,000 sitting there in cash, and we would only get it back if the car would make it back. The car mm -hmm. had to be returned back to South Africa? Yeah. Otherwise, we would have lost so much money. Wow. Um, the value yeah. of the car? The value of the car is like 8000 I think, and yeah, then double the value. And the problem is it doesn't matter for them if your car is fucked basically or not so you gotta ship it back and if you are thousands of kilometers away from any port it's your problem you then have to take that car and bring it somehow back the shipping was another big chunk 
I actually thought it was really cheap to ship things around the world. It definitely isn't. Yeah. $3,500 just for the shipping. She said half the value. That's exactly what we also said. We're like, well, we've got these 15 grand sitting there. So that's why we also, we did it, the, the three of us. And to be honest, I think in total for us, it costs us like $7,000 each. It's kind of like, yeah, the fuel is included. It was quite a bit we were using 5,000 liters of gasoline um yeah and then like so we sold the car in the end again and so like roughly you look at five to ten grand but africa is expensive to be honest it, it is really expensive so for five months you guys on average about seven thousand dollars spent per person right yeah okay so budgeting about looks like somewhere around 13 to 1400 dollars per month including of course the the cost of the car and shipping it i'm really curious about the car like shipping it back like what constitutes it getting shipped back? Like if you just put in like the tires and so, like a, an engine and some like frame parts, you'd be like, hey, this is this is how we finished it, you know? Like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. Um the, the shipping was actually like one of our biggest problems. There was literally one company in Egypt that would deal with private customers because everyone else is just dealing with like big customers that transport a lot. So uh, we were actually afraid, like, we have to drive it back. And finally, we found one one company. They said three and a half. We said, like, well, we don't have much of a choice. Tried to negotiate. But I think they gave us $100 off or something. So That's crazy. I had no idea. They Why did they do that again? Is that just so you're not – what's the purpose of this? No country wants to have your trash basically in there. And also – do you think that um, that Egypt, for example, has their own car import things? So if you bring it in, they lose money and basically they kind of like want to try to help their own economy with like cars and stuff. So mm -hmm. no one wants your shitty cars getting in and yeah, the import taxes are crazy. And if I can get a visual, what kind of car did you guys drive? So we did a lot of research and we've made in the on the Iran road trip, we made a terrible mistake by taking the wrong brand that no one could repair. <laughs> um so the only thing in africa that everyone can repair and you have a chance to get the spare parts is actually toyota land cruiser mm -hmm. we bought the prado <clears throat> they are a little bit like the baby version of the land cruiser but like parts are very similar and um great off-road capability and really tough car so we had only a few few issues with a car but mm -hmm. other than that like be great and did you find this online before you got there or how did you guys uh, find the car um so we were really lucky because my two friends are actually from south africa so that made everything much easier and in south africa they do have a lot of off-road cars the, there's a market there and it's not so hard to actually to find a car I'm assuming, did you guys give it a name? I mean, if you're doing a road trip, you might as well name the vehicle, right? We did at the beginning, but since we crashed our first car very, very soonish, <laughs> uh, we decided it's not a great idea. We should just um, <laughs> leave it without a name, to be honest. <laughs> you were talking a little bit about visas. So what was the visa process going through uh, country to country in Africa? Did you have to do this prior or could you do it at the border? Most of the ones I could actually do on the border. Internet people usually said you should do it prior, but um, most of the time you just rock up, pay in cash in US dollars, and they they are good with it. And so I think it was only Sudan where we had to apply beforehand on a on an embassy. But other than that, especially with the German, or I think 
generally like um european passport you should be fine at least like on the eastern side of africa mm-hmm. uh, i heard it's a bit more of a shit show in west africa especially also with bribes and stuff east africa was quite good and speaking of east africa versus west africa when you guys were planning this trip how did you decide which route to take and which direction to go Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, so we had one guy, Michael. He actually knows a lot about the politics in Africa because uh, sometimes you got war here and there, this and this and this. And for us, we just wanted to do the Cape Town to Cairo, and the quickest way and the the way that a lot of people have done so, and we had a lot of experience online with it, was on the eastern side. Uh, the countries are halfway stable. In there are one or two regions that you have to be a little bit careful, but generally it was really easy. And the countries are pretty large, so you don't have to deal with the border crossings all the time. Whereas in in Western Africa, that's like that. What that's exactly what kills you because you have I don't know like 15 countries within a couple of weeks, and you spend so much time on the borders and borders. That's not a lot of fun. And uh, I'm just going to pull up a map here of Africa, and I was wondering if you could uh, just tell us your route that you took. So we basically started off in South Africa and went along the what's that? That's the eastern coast up, um, heading into Botswana. Did like a little strip. It's called the Caprivi Strip in Namibia, and then went all the way through Zambia. We went to um, Zambia through Malawi. Um, big chunk through Tanzania, did a loop around Rwanda, Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, and basically through Sudan up to Egypt. So there was a little bit like of an extra loop, especially Rwanda, Uganda. But we saw a couple of pictures of them and said like, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And like we might as well just visit these countries. But it's um, the classic route usually goes through Mozambique. But I think there was like some visa issues and stuff. And also I think they speak um, Portuguese. And so like, yeah, now let's, let's just uh, see something else. I have to say like, I'm really proud of what uh, the, the planning that Michael did. Like it was absolutely beautiful. What would you recommend? Probably You probably guys forgot a lot about some stuff afterwards, you realize. But what were some things that you would recommend to bring on the trip as you were preparing this five-month journey through Africa? So one thing is that is really handy to have is a fridge. Food supply is really a big issue in Africa. So in South Africa and Namibia, not that much. You got just like back home in Europe or in, in North America, you got your supermarkets. They have a great selection of meat. But once you go a bit ahead of north, you basically can only stock up in the capitals. And to to keep your meat and stuff fresh, at least for a couple of days, a fridge or a freezer is really highly recommended. You need recovery gear for your car because you're definitely going to be stuck at some point. A compressor is really nice because um, flat tires are definitely a thing you come across. But other than that, you don't actually need too much. I think it's often... The lighter you go, the easier it is with a car. Mm-hmm. It was also one when we crashed our first car, one of the major issues was that it was too top heavy. So we had two massive boxes on the top, put in heaps of stock, stuff that was really, really heavy. And so the whole car was very unstable. I, th- I often think it's better to go on a very light approach. And it's just like, yeah, you will sort it out on the way. But I do think like a compressor, a reliable car, that's definitely a thing you don't want to um, you don't want to be cheap so just spend spend your money on that one and then the rest will sort out 
Uh, Money-wise, how did you guys financially prepare yourself for it? Did you guys bring credit cards or a lot of cash? Or what, what would you say is the money situation <laughs> coming into Africa? Because you're going to need some money, right? You're definitely going to need some money. We had we had a couple of approaches. So you can say the southern part of Africa is very European. So you can pay with credit cards, swipe wherever you want to. Then um, it got interesting in some countries. Uh, where my credit card wouldn't work, but then like some credit cards would work. And to be honest, that was also one of the best parts. Um, so I owed a lot of money to the guys because they paid for the car. Um, I loaded up some cash back in Australia and I was coming over basically with four or five grand in cash in US dollars. And uh, because I was a bit afraid that people would rob me, I chucked it all into my shoes. <laughs> so it's <was> walking. <laughs> I was literally walking on five grand, just like in and on a 12 hour bus ride. And I was like, I just hope they don't take my, my lousy shoes and like take everything else, but don't take my shoes with the five grands in there. And dollars is definitely can always change. How much, how much of a baller did you feel like walking around with five grand in your feet? You know, you're like, dude, I got two and a half grand in each shoe. Like what up? I was, I was pretty paranoid about it to be honest yeah uh, you're just looking around like did that guy look weird at me or it's like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> you know it's funny you probably thought you were so clever too you're like they probably have no idea that they, that i have money in my shoes and everyone's like dude he's definitely got money in his shoes <laughs> <laughs> that's probably so true that's so true i even tried to put on like clothes that didn't look like as if i was a rich person or anything at all like i wanted to look as close to a homeless guy as possible. So they would just say like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I actually do that trick sometimes as well. Whenever I'm traveling, like if you look like a backpacker, everyone's like, all right, this guy's got no money. Like, <laughs> like he's poor. Like, what are you going to steal from him? Is like traveler book, you know, or his little diary he writes in every night. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got five grand in your shoes. That's no one would expect that. No. That's funny. And so you would say uh, euros as well are accepted or just dollars. Dollars is the way to go. Um, right. Also, also smaller notes. Uh, <laughs> I brought over a lot of a hundred notes, but apparently, especially if you got to bribe cops, it's like mainly in the one to five dollar range. And um, yeah, if you change money like twenty to fifties, that's probably the best idea uh -huh. to bring uh, to bring them over. It's a little different than like Thailand. Thailand, they want the big bills. They won't take the small ones or they give you a bad exchange rate. That's pretty cool. So we got our whole prep in. We got your strategy in. We got the money situation in. I'm watching you take a flight from Australia to South Africa with $5,000 in your shoes, walking like you have heels on because you got wads in and thinking that you are so sneaky and sly, but everyone's like, dude, what's going on with this guy? So dive into the story. Let's get started with some of this journey. So where does the story begin? So for me, it began, well, it began actually two weeks earlier. Mm -hmm. So, cause as I said earlier, like I had to work always four weeks on. Mm -hmm. So um, I still had to finish my job. I was, I was, I had another two weeks to go on the mine side. I couldn't just fuck off. And so uh, the boys decided to to start two weeks earlier, and I would just meet them um, basically in Botswana. And that was pretty cool. So they brought a friend of us. So like, well, cool. So you can come the first for the first two weeks with us. And so about a week later, I got a I got a message from Dean like um to finish my shift, and was like, oh, that's that's a pretty long voicemail and stuff like this. And he keeps he's like, yeah, Dharma, we get a slight issue there and stuff like this. I'm like, hmm, okay, slight issue, I don't know. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, and we came off the road, and ah, oh, 
do you know, like, uh, that was really, really weird. And it's like, yeah, but the car's fucked. Like, it's not going anywhere. I'm like, mate, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm one week away of, like, flying over to you. I've told my bosses that I'm going to quit. Like, I've prepared everything, and you fucked the car. Like, you guys had one job. Like, don't fuck the car. But to be honest, I'm really proud. Uh, so I was really buried the first few seconds then i found it actually hilarious like okay yeah we destroyed the car before it even started the boys did a really good job man within five days they sorted out another car fully kitted it what was left of the other car and basically we were back on track and just kept going like yeah i flew into botswana grabbed like two three mini buses with my five grands in the in the shoes and um Met them in the Akavanga Delta, which was then my first real African experience. It was. What were your uh, ex first uh, impressions of Africa, and what were you thinking when you when you got there? So in Botswana itself, a lot of people were actually wearing suits, so I looked completely underdressed. <laughs> um, I was like, "Wow, these guys have a lot of style." <laughs> And they're all walking on 10 grand while you're walking on five grand, you know, like, you judge a guy in Botswana and how high he's like raised out of his shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, I think that was my first impression. And then the boys did a really good job. So we, we had this camp set up um, right on the river. And um, so I could hear hippos straight away. Like they, they have a really weird thing. They go like, ho, 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 ho. I just <laughs> like, what? was that it's like oh that's the hippos <laughs> and um they've repaired one of the coolest things straight away so after introducing me to another couple that was coming with us for a week and like the car and how everything goes uh they booked a tour on the river mm -hmm. and the tour was called like catch a baby croc at night or something and um it was it was pretty hilarious because um so we went on that river the guide showed us some birds at night, like shining with a torch and stuff. And then he was shining around on the surface of the river. And there were so many red eyes. And then said like, oh, yeah, that's th these are the crocs. Like, Whoa, we're on this little floaty boat and they're all crocs. And then Michael eventually caught a crocodile, which was about that size, like, yeah, maybe 30, 40 centimeters. Pretty strong fucker, to be honest, twisting around and trying to free itself. Mm -hmm. and constantly had its mouth open. And um, so I was like, yeah, that's that's really cool. And the guy that um, that was with us, so he had a clever idea to put his finger into the mouth of the crocodile. So like, yeah, I took a picture literally a second before the crocodile just smashed, <laughs> smashed his finger. Uh, it was really funny because actually it just left him like a cut in the finger, but it just like he dropped it and then the, suddenly the crocodile was in the boat and everyone's just running around like fuck get the croc like out of here and uh, man it was it was really funny because obviously the next couple of days we would just take the piss out of him like oh yeah what's the first thing you do when you see the open mouth of a crocodile yeah put your finger in there be clever <laughs> <laughs> and so it sounds like there's a lot of wildlife that you guys uh were seeing along the way did you guys stay in are the, I, i've never been to this part so i'm completely I'm clueless on this stuff so if, if i'm totally out of it just let me know are they like natural or like state parks that you're staying at or what kind of nature preserves or where are you guys staying at during this time basically the animals are running around literally everywhere so if you drive on a normal road you will eventually see a sleeping giraffe or elephants and stuff but they they do have large conservation areas things but um i was really surprised that they actually saw 
you can set up your tent on a camping spot, but like the animals are running around there. So on my first night, I remember in the morning I woke up and I said like, guys, hey, there's a footprint like two meters next to the tent. And they're like, oh yeah, that's a hippo. I'm like, there's a hippo like next to us we sleep. And they're like, yeah, what do you reckon? Like, what, like we're here where it lives. What do you reckon what it should be? I'm like, not here. And uh, they, I don't know. I don't know what I expected. It was like, they, they are dangerous. And they were like, yeah, ah, oh, the, the guy from Europe like has no idea. Like, they just said, like, oh, yeah, they shouldn't attack you if you're sleeping in a tent. I'm like, okay, cool, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the animals are literally on every campsite that you have inside the park. The animals are running around. Hippos, elephants, everything. The one time I was really, really scared, to be honest, was, so it was this dry grass really looking like a savanna, chest height, and I had to go to the toilet. And um, so a couple of days before, they saw some lions running around there. And I was like, man, it's like, I need to go to the toilet. I have to walk through this grass. And if I was a lion, I would definitely wait for the German snack to come over in this grass. <laughs> and um, luckily, nothing happened. But yeah, scary, like really, really scary. And you hear so many noises and things at night that you don't know what it belongs to. But. Sheesh. And what were like some of the, walk us through some of the animals that you saw. I mean, you mentioned rhinos, giraffes, lions. What else did you see? Uh, heaps of elephants, mm -hmm. to be honest. Locals are really scared of elephants because they, like the elephants kill the locals. They, if they've got kids or anything, um, they really charge you. They flip cars. Uh, they smash it. Sheesh. We've seen most of the things that you see are actually like um, kudus and all these kind of like wildebeest. Uh, we call it the cat food because they usually just get taken out and um, get eaten by some big lions or, yeah. I was kind of curious, when you were like, for example, in Botswana, do you have like a guide that is with you guys while you're out there? Or are you just driving your car and at night you're just parking out and getting a tent? Um, so basically, we did it all on our own because we had already the car and um so the two south africans are really really good at spotting animals that was actually why we didn't really need a guide dean was really really good um he could spot animals miles away and stuff but usually i would definitely recommend to get a guide they know where it is they they have usually more cars around and they are connected with um uh, with the phones and stuff. So if the, if one car sees something, he's just going to call his mates and everyone's rushing over. Whereas we, it's kind of like a little bit of his, hit and miss. You don't really know where the animals are. Good thing is, if you go to Africa, in my opinion, do it during the dry season mm -hmm. because then like it narrows down everything. So all the animals have to go to the remaining water holes and also everything's dry and you would not believe how hard it is to see a lion that's even like only two meters away of the road it's hard to spot them and if it's everything's green and uh, bushy and stuff you're not gonna see any animal so definitely when, when, get a guide when is when is the dry season and um, so when we were it was just before the rainy season so we started in when was that october around september october mm -hmm. um that's a very good that's a very good thing where you should go in terms of going on safaris in Africa, where would you recommend uh, the best safaris in Africa are? The thing is, for example, Serengeti and so on, they are really good, but they're extremely expensive. 
Mm -hmm. um, you, we're looking at 50 to $100 per person per day. Mm -hmm. You definitely want to go a couple of days in a row because in case you don't see anything, like it's not worth just going for one day. They wanted to charge us for the car $300 to enter. So <laughs> we were looking at $600 per day. So there ain't no fucking way. <laughs> um, the best is South Africa, in my opinion. Dean told me it is really, really cheap. Like um, we're looking at $5 to sleep there, mm -hmm. $5 entrance, $5 for the sleepover. And um, I mean, elephants look same all over Africa and especially the Kruger National Park is probably one of the world's most famous ones. I would definitely recommend South Africa. Cheap, nice, convenient, easy connections with a flight. Uh, the further up north you go, the more expensive it gets. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely start in South Africa with these um, with these safaris. Safaris are these also guided, or are you renting your own car, or how do these safaris look like? So you got these two options where you're either self-driving, which is not an option for most of the tourists. For us, it was. But as I said, it's hard to spot the animals. You need people that know what to look for. Um, it took me also quite a while to actually see things. And you would not expect how hard it is to see a big-ass elephant, like even if it's standing basically next to you. It's impossible if your eyes not used to it. And um, I would definitely go for the for the guided tour. It's it's worth to put down the money. I think it's pretty cheap in, in South Africa. Um, especially if you like two, three people, you can have a private tour. They stay as long as you want to. You can take your pictures. It's mm -hmm. it's definitely worth it. For these tours, are you staying in a tent or they have accommodation there? Both. Um, you can go to lodges. In my opinion, it's really expensive for what you get for. So it's often a bit better than a tent and you're looking at $200 a night. Mm -hmm. The five-star ones, which are really good, you're looking at like $1,500 a night. It is insane, man. Like, I don't know why they charge it. I guess because they can and people from Europe pay it. Yeah. But um, that's also why mainly – so we were probably the youngest people around there, to be honest. Crazy. They're just like, hey, I'm just going to make up a number today. How about $1,500? Like, yeah, I'm sure. Why not? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But for these safaris, are you also recommending during the dry season? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, always the dry season. Otherwise, you're not going to see anything. It was already hard to find the animals on the on the water holes that were left. <laughs> like If there's massive rivers where they could go anywhere, like you're not going to see anything. Well, and what, what are some of like, the foods that you were, you were eating when you were in Africa? Once again, South Africa, Namibia, Botswana, that southern part, super easy. Uh, they, they mainly eat meat. All these camping spots have proper nice barbecue places included. Uh, you chuck in the nice steak, you eat it. It's, it was absolutely amazing, man. The further north you go, food is one of the biggest problems. Um, to be honest, the biggest supermarkets in, where was it? Ethiopia, for example, man, every little shop back home has a bigger variety than they had up there. It was really, really hard to get food. Uh, we got more and more skinny because yeah you eat like twice a day weird stuff a lot of lot of carbs and it is really hard like in the south no problems at all but um as soon as you leave bigger cities you're not finding anything there's no restaurant you can't stock up it's really hard so actually we did it um again we we bought a lot of tuna <laughs> fuck i hate tuna uh <laughs> rice and tuna fuck it three times a day that's the way to go <laughs> what was like the weird did you have any, any like super weird food that you ate on the trip 
for us, the peak in a negative uh, way was actually was Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. So we were already a long time into the trip. So um, I don't know. At the beginning, you take it easy and so on. But like after a while, if you don't have proper food, man, it really it destroys your day. And we really liked the food. When we came in, we really liked it. But they eat it three times a day the same thing. Uh-huh. It's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And after three days, you're like, man, like, fucking kill a goat or whatever you do. But, like, I don't want to eat that stuff anymore. With that food, all of us got food poisoning. It's just like it went through, like, he's got it, he's got it, he's got it. We had heaps of antibiotics with us. and But, like, yeah, every second or third day, at least one was feeling really, really shit. And, uh, man, like, we were so happy once we left Ethiopia, entering in Sudan and getting, like, that nice Arabic food again. Like, just chicken, man. It's it's only chicken, but it's chicken. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Like, just right next to each other, right? The countries and all of us, a huge difference, right? Very, very big difference, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. What, what, what kind of food did you eat in Ethiopia? You said you're eating the same meal because I, I went to a couple of Ethiopian restaurants in in Chicago and I enjoyed it. They had like lots of different kinds of meats and beans or what was the cuisine in Ethiopia? Exactly. You get kind of like um, a pancake. It's a bit of sour bread and then they put yeah. like yeah beans and lentils and stuff on it and you eat it with a hand. As I said, it is good if you eat it for the first time or maybe for the second time, but then like three times a day and you're just like, yeah, nah, like. <laughs> and that was literally all they more or less had. So we ordered, I think, a chicken sandwich two or three times. One of them, we had the food poisoning because they don't cook it properly. Like three sides of it was still pink and we're like, yeah, nah, it's not worth it. It's not supposed to be like this, man. <laughs> nah, nah, it wasn't. <laughs> Gee, that's crazy. And so you guys saying you guys are getting sick. Were there, how was like the, uh, the like the hospital and doctor situation uh, <laughs> not, not existing or what? <laughs> so once again, it was Ethiopia that got me. I had a pain in my stomach and I thought it was actually the appendix. So, um, but sometimes like, yeah, you get it in that area and like it goes away after a day. But after two days, I was really nervous because they usually say like, well, either you die on the third day or it's fine kind of a thing. It was just about the time we wanted to cross into Sudan. So it was another three-day tour, basically, until we were at the next hospital. So I said, like, guys, like, I really don't want to be a pussy, but, like, we should check it out. So we went to a public hospital, which was one of the weirdest experiences ever. Uh-huh. So many people, like, it looked more like a slaughterhouse. So it, it was just a big hall full of people, like, lying on the floor, I don't know, half getting the babies, other ones were old, other one this. Soon as they wanted to take my blood for blood tests, they were like, nah, not here, because otherwise I'm going to have any disease. <laughs> so we went to a private clinic. Um, I paid, I think, in total 20 bucks for all the tests and stuff. Um, it was, I think it was a very good one for their country. For us, it was like, it's all right. It was all right. I got the ultrasonic thing. Mm-hmm. And basically, she showed me all the organs, which was really funny. She's like, oh, yeah, this is your, this organ, this, this, this. I'm like, yeah, well, I, like, I just want to know, like, am I going to die or not? <laughs> and um, she's like, nah, it's just close. It's like next to the appendix. Like, sweet ass, I'm going to Sudan. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Wow. So you got you to gotta plan a little bit ahead. Um, but I would say most of the capitals do have proper proper hospitals and as soon as you put down the credit card you get proper treatment we i know one thing we were discussing was comparing southeast asia backpacking southeast asia to africa 
So I know like Southeast Asia is just getting more and more like tourist friendly. Uh, I mean, you come into Bangkok or any of those uh, Southeast Asian capitals. I mean, it's, it's pretty friendly for tourists uh, to get food and, and medical care. How does backpacking uh, Southeast Asia compare to doing this kind of, let's say, backpacker road trip throughout Africa? On that whole trip, we have not met too many backpackers, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And it's got a couple of reasons. One is that most of the stuff is really expensive and young people are usually on a budget. Mm-hmm. And the only two countries we really met backpackers was Tanzania and Kenya. So there were a couple of people, a couple of Westerners that we've met, but any other country, not really. I think the problem is like, so there's no proper infrastructure. Like they don't have buses going here and there and in Asia, it's just so easy. Like you, you check down $5 a day, you get your scooter, you scooter around. And Africa, it's very hard to get around. It's not really dangerous, dangerous, but definitely more dangerous than Asia. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I think it's, it's hard because you don't get around if you don't book tours. And also, in my opinion, it's a, it's a bit like this. So in Thailand, you could easily spend three months, for example. Uh, you get your scooter, you do a road trip. There's heaps of things to see. In most of the countries that we came through, you can go on TripAdvisor and there will be between three and ten things that you can do. And if you've seen this, you've seen the entire country. There's nothing in between. <laughs> um, it's it's really funny, but like there, there is nothing. Yeah. So um, I think the best way, especially for that for that big middle part that we did, is fly in, book a tour take the money, enjoy all these sightseeing things, and that's it. South Africa, Namibia, and Botswana, I would probably rent a car because mm-hmm. you get um, full kit, fully kitted four-wheel drive cars for about 100 bucks a day. Mm-hmm. And if you share it like, with one or two friends, man, like you will have the time of your life. But they are, once again, a little bit more Europeanized. Like They are, they are not the real Africa. They, they are what they call Africa light. So I do think South Africa is Southeast Asia is much more easy to travel than actually Africa. And it's I don't know if it's going to change in the next couple of years. The Chinese are building a lot of infrastructure, a lot of roads and stuff. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but so far, there's not much to, to do as a backpacker. So you're, for, to summarize, the south of Africa, you would recommend getting a car with some buddies, renting it out. Uh, exploring on your own central africa you recommend getting into the country going on a guided tour that'll show you kind of the landmarks and to see spots what about the north part of africa so northern part we talk about the mainly egypt and sudan Mm -hmm. um egypt is good to do it on a rental car as well i would never ever to be honest bring a car into egypt again first of all the way they drive like we like the risk that we, we would destroy our car was so high in um, in Egypt, like nowhere else before. And the thing is, so to enter the to enter the border, we had actually to pay entrance fee. Mm-hmm. So uh, they charge you to enter the border, and we spend in one hour over three hundred dollars to get our car through the border. And in any other border, it wasn't a problem. We could do it ourselves. There, we would have stayed days and days. You need a fixer. You need to pay him well, and then he does all the stuff for you. Um, so I think Northern Africa, especially Egypt, can easily do it with a rental car because mm-hmm. um, that car's already in Egypt, no dramas. Sudan is, to be honest, it was 
my favorite country probably. Um, great country, great people. But it's hard once again to get there. But if you have your own car, it's absolutely amazing. You pull over around a, du- a sand dune. Mm-hmm. No one gives a flying fuck what you're doing. Um, so we were doing bushfires. Um, rip out some bushes, put them on there. Fuel was six cents a liter. So we just started all our fires with a liter or two of gasoline. It was absolutely amazing. Um, I would definitely recommend anyone that wants to go to Sudan do it. Well, six cents a liter, if my math is correct, that's about 24 cents a gallon. Uh, if I'm doing my math correct, I think there's about 3.96 liters in a gallon, if my sixth grade teacher taught me correctly. Uh, that is really cheap. Uh, that's insane. Um, so we're just going to – so speaking of cars, I know it's kind of this is a road trip. Were there lots – so when I did Vietnam with the motorbike, there's lots of mechanics along the way, and you could get, like, everything fixed for super cheap. What were you guys doing when there were any kinds of mechanical issues? Were you just all doing it by yourselves or are there mechanics along the way? Good question. First, try to get a car that doesn't break down too often. There are not many mechanics around. I do think if shit really hits the fan, people will help you or drive someone in from 100 kilometers away. Um, They're really friendly and like helpful. We had some mechanical issues with a car a couple of times. Um, and at some point, it was in Kenya, so we had probably 20 or 30% power left. So we could not go around like any truck or anything. And we said, oh, especially we were about to go to the northern part of Kenya and there are terrorists. So we said like, well, if the terrorists are going to get us, like we need to get away. <laughs> not with a car that <laughs> doesn't drive uh, quicker than, than 30 miles an hour or whatever. So we went to where was it Nairobi and that uh, we found a mechanic that fixed it. So in the capitals, you will often find people that can fix it, but you also, you need to go with your guts. We had very bad experience with a Toyota official dealership. They didn't even listen to our problem. They just wanted to charge us 200 to look at the car. And we're like, yeah, fuck off. And when we actually, we were running out of options and we said like, come on, let's go, let's call that one more guy in Facebook. Mm-hmm. So we called him. Um, Lionel, really cool guy, and within three sentences we knew like that's the guy that's gonna fix our car. And um, he couldn't find the the problem at the beginning, so <laughs> we had to stay another day. And he just so he was for like two hours, and he invited us straight to sleep over at his parents' place. Mm-hmm. While he was fixing the car, we rocked up at his dad's place. The dad was about to leave for work. He's like, "Here's the keys. Here's your rooms." Just just don't don't destroy anything in my house and like we'll be fine and we're like whoa what the fuck and um it was really really cool so you need these mechanics there are i can actually recommend you one app it's called iOverlander, and it's basically open source and people can put in their good experiences and that helped us a lot so people put down that's a good mechanic go to them speak to them and stuff like this um i overlander highly recommend that but yeah, in the in the capitals, you will find mechanics everywhere else. Hit and miss. And this is all of Africa or certain countries? It is all uh, the entire world, actually. Um, they will okay. tell you wild camping spots, which is really, really, really good. And yeah, emergency numbers and stuff. I'm not sure if you even told us the story. of You, you mentioned uh, that you crashed the first car. I don't know if you really even went into detail of how this even happened. Well, a couple of things came together. Um, so first it was a 
the guy that was driving that day wasn't part of our team. So I think like, yeah, he didn't put in any money. So he was like, yeah, I don't care. Um, <laughs> Hello. And, well, um, and um, I think he was inexperienced with driving off-road cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, the car was very top heavy. And um, yeah, so the roads where they were driving weren't too good. And the thing is, I think he looked down for a speaker, like to remove a speaker, literally just for a couple of seconds. <clears throat> Came off the road, bumpy road, and um, yeah, so they slowed down. All Dean said was like they slowed down really nicely, and he was like, "Well, our car's a beast." <laughs> and um, but then there was this massive like one meter ditch, and the car just went in, and they all flipped, oh, and yeah, so that thing was completely gone. And funny thing is that Michael in the back wasn't even um, having his safety belt on. Sheesh. It was. He was sleeping in there, but he he had a lot of like cushions and stuff around him and a lot of pillows. So um, I don't know. Dean said like they flipped, and he said like Michael, are you okay? And he didn't answer. Like oh my god, we killed Michael. <laughs> and then he was like, Nah, I'm alright. Like I, I just had a nap. <laughs> so wow. yeah, pay attention with the. We also from there on we said like okay, the driver needs to drive. You are not a lot. Like if you touch that fucking speaker and you crash it you got to pay for the car. It's your problem. Like your only job is to drive. And we put down a lot of these heavy things from the top down to the bottom, which helped a lot, to be honest. And uh, what happened with the car after that? Did you guys get insurance money and buy a new one? Or how? what did you guys do after that? So first of all, they were really, really lucky because they just left an area which was extremely dangerous. And they said usually the car would be gone and everything that was in there because people just rock up taking things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just left that area, I think, like yeah, twenty kilometers further on or so, and um, you get quite a bit of money back. I do think that we got two or three thousand dollars still for the completely wrecked car, but like they just kind of like stretch it out again, like they still drive it, like they don't care about it. They go like, oh, you can sell the engine, you can sell the transmission. I don't know. Yeah, and we got actually quite a bit of it, so um, yeah, that wasn't too bad. And did you have to switch the deposit then for the new car or no? As it was the same car, actually, um, I think that's typical. South Africa and Germany would never work, but they just said like, oh, yeah, our car has now a, a new color. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so same car, just a bit newer. Like it was it was all right. They just, um, yeah, no problems at all. I want to touch base on what you were saying. You, were, you got into Sudan and saying how much you like Sudan. What were some of your favorite countries and why? Whew. Hard to say. There were a lot of countries. I absolutely loved Malawi mm-hmm. because it is such an like unpopular country. It's hard to get there. That's a problem. Like so, the I think one way tickets are eight hundred dollars, but it was cheap. People were extremely friendly, and so you got this very nice freshwater lake, Malawi, which I think is like one of the biggest lakes on the planet. You can actually go diving in there. Um, they ha- have cool, colorful fish in there, and really, it was really, really nice. In the south, you have a lot of mountains, and so you can do everything. Like, small country, but you get the trekking, you can go diving, you can do this, and people were really friendly. And the next thing, yeah, was was basically Sudan. I do think it was also because in the rest of Africa, it's really, really different than Europe. So you will always have people around. So there's one main road, and on this road, there are constantly people. So... Drastically speaking is if you want to go on a break to have a little wee, 
there will always be people watching you. As soon as you pull over with your cars, like they all come to you and just stare at you. They don't even talk to you. They just look at you like, oh, some. so it's really, really weird. And it got really annoying because you can't have a break without people constantly watching what you're doing. And Sudan was the first country that was not really populated. You could pull over behind a dune, like maybe there's a guy with a camel coming over or whatever. But finally, people just left you alone. And it was great. And they are literally the friendliest people I've ever met on the planet. They don't rip you off. They, they're just friendly and always help you out. They, we got invited by a lawyer. He, he said, like, oh, yeah, you guys want to come over for breakfast? Like, sure, we got an hour. Really, really great experience. Like... So Sudanese uh, people are really, really friendly. That's really cool. Uh, were there any other countries that kind of uh, surprised you or you didn't like, wasn't, wasn't as you expected? Generally, that middle part of Africa, I, I thought that Africa is much more like savannah, but that middle part is actually very green and very mountainous. One of the, the biggest ones was Rwanda. So they had a genocide a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and they bounced back. They killed a million people in a couple of weeks. and Basically, you don't see anything of that anymore. Like, it's a pretty modern country. Um, they introduced a community service, so everyone has to do a community service once a week or whatever. Really, really cool country. Another one that really disappointed me was Egypt, to be honest. So, it's beautiful. The pyramids, so cool. Even cooler than you would expect. And um, it really, it ruined our whole experience. We did not want to talk to Egyptians. They rip you off constantly, uh, but not in a nice way, like in a really, really mean way. And um, I talked to a couple of people later on about like what their experience were with Egyptians and it was exactly the same. So yeah, that was a bit of a negative experience, but overall, man, people were extremely friendly. And um, especially in rural areas where you would think that people are poor, super nice, super friendly, never try to rob us or anything. Yeah. You know, uh, I had like a th- I, when I did my road trip, uh, sorry, my motorcycle trip to Vietnam, I came up with this theory that, you know, when, when I was in Hanoi in the north, when we started our motorcycle trip, it felt like everyone was trying to rip us off. And, you know, you every left, right and center, everyone's trying to sell you something. Someone's trying to rip you off and blah, 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 blah. And it's overwhelming after a little while. But then when we hit up the countryside, because we would drive a couple hundred kilometers a day and we'd park uh, overnight somewhere and stay in a hotel, the people were really, really friendly in the countryside. And like we had flat tires on our bikes. And uh, I was like, okay, this mechanic, we're in the middle of nowhere. He can charge us like $400. And we're like, yeah, sounds good. What else am I going to do? You know, we'll, like walk home back to Chicago. So I came up with this idea that I was like, you know, it's interesting because I feel like when we put all these people into these cities, you know, they're fighting over these limited resources. Um, and so it's kind of like this, this rat race. And so when, the, when you know, when tourists come in, it's just like this rat race to get as much money and resources. But when you go out into the countryside, you have this more human connection. You know, people are just more in tune with nature. They're not trying to become rich or whatever. They're just enjoying life. And I feel that they are more, that you, you can connect with them easier. And they don't see you as a dollar sign. They see you kind of more as like a human being who's just trying to enjoy their, their, uh, their country. Now, I, was this the same in Egypt? Did you see that in like outside of like the capital of tourist parts of Egypt were still people still uh, pretty aggressive with their with their sales tactics? Um, so I do think that, that uh, it's hard to say. So the problem with Egypt is that they depend mainly on tourism. So everyone kind of works in the tourism industry. 
Even mm. if they are super friendly at the beginning, they will always try to hook you up with a business and make their money out of it. So one of the few ones that was actually really friendly was a guy um, that had a shop for cat food. And because he couldn't sell anything to us, so he was like, he was really nice. But other than that, <laughs> Egypt was really, really a bad place. In the rest of Africa, it was exactly like this. Um, we also, we came up with that theory that everyone that wants to make money is in, and is kind of let's say greedy goes to the big cities and they often see how rich people can get, but they can't, they just can't get rich themselves. So they become criminal. Right. And um, that's also why, like, we really, we saw some dodgy stuff in, in the cities, but out in the rural countryside, man, people were so friendly. And for me, it was funny to see that the poorer the people are, the more happy they basically were. Oh um, they don't worry about money that much. They just, like, they have their friends, their family. They love a lot. So you see people that basically only have their cattle and a little bit of livestock, but they're so happy. Like, they... They just don't worry about anything else. They got their food. That's it. Man, I was just thinking about this the other day, how like when you're in Thailand, you know, like people aren't the richest, you know, you have, uh, you know, people just, and, but they're always smiling, you know, they're always just like happy. They're like, you know, they don't need much. And it's, it's like uplifting to see that how sometimes you get caught up in this race to make so much money and buy houses and buy cars. And then all of a sudden you have people who have like a shack somewhere on the beach and they're like super happy just to live off like 200 bucks a month, you know, like, like whatever, you know, I have my community, I have my family, I, I eat three times a day and I'm like, the sun's out. I love it. You know, it's, it's, it's super cool to see that. Um, I just wanted to finish touching on, on Egypt because I, I'm personally, I've been interested in going uh, diving there. Uh, I've heard people say it's some of the most incredible diving uh, out there in the Red Sea. But I've also heard a lot of like the dangers of the political um, situation, and you never know what's what's actually accurate in in the news and what's not. So, would would you recommend that as a place to visit and go diving, or would you recommend going somewhere different? Um. So generally, I would not recommend any of my friends to go to Egypt. Just for the <laughs> bad experience we had. Um. It's politically stable, I do think is much safer than people actually say. They have military all over the place. Um, we have never ever felt somehow unsafe or anything. And even if people rip you off and you argue with them, I thought like, okay, now like fists are flying. No, they're really peaceful. Um, they still can't, but they're peaceful. And I don't think they have as many problems as, as people think. Diving in the Red Sea, half half. Um, I've heard very good things about it. when we were there. It was it was average. Uh, they said we were there on the wrong time. Mm -hmm. Could be, could not be. Man, um, diving equipment is so shit. It was actually dangerous. I can't believe it. So I tried seven different regulators until we found one that was like halfway working. Dean put in his, so uh, he attached the, the regulator with the first stage basically to the tank, opened the tank, and the thing flew out. I was like, man, what are you doing? Like, So we had the overall impression that um, they would make money out of it and not service their equipment and stuff properly, which is probably not too worrying because like a lot of people bring over their own equipment. But man, I was like, you, it's not that cheap. So they still charge you $30, $40, $50 a dive. And then Jeez. you don't even get serviced um, regulators. I think the tip that I can 
that I can say, if you want to go diving, do a liverboard in Egypt mm -hmm. and find uh, one of the most expensive companies. Also, the ones that have a lot of reviews, so you will you will be less likely to actually kill yourself. And um, I've only heard good things about the liverboard, so you will be the first one on the side. You will see the sharks and everything. Um, I do think they they will have some great diving. We just like went to three or four different dive schools, and it was like it was all right. I'll have to check that out. It's been on my bucket list since I've heard about uh, heard about people telling me that it's a great place. But I'll definitely bring my own dive equipment. Uh, definitely, you so. should do that. Uh, speaking of some of the dangers in Africa, I know uh, we we just talked about a lot of the the positive things. So, what about let's see some of the challenges you had. Uh, you had a, a story you want to talk about, not in Nairobi. Uh, did you have you want to share this experience? Yeah, we can do that. Um, so Nairobi is also known as uh, Nairobi, and that's got a reason. <laughs> and so we nearly got robbed in in Nairobi, <laughs> and we were back on the way from our mechanic, and we got um, stuck in a traffic jam. So there were like four lanes of of cars next to us. I don't know. So we always locked the car, but everyone had their front windows down. So we're like, okay, it's kind of safe. So we do the sa exactly same thing. And then what happened, um, someone started knocking on the side of, of, of the car, on the passenger side, like just like this. Um, for me, it was like, well, it's Africa, I don't know, maybe he's drunk, he tries to sell me something, he's just happy, he loved, I don't know, like you never know what people do. But I was lucky that actually Dean grew up in South Africa and he was like, uh oh, someone's knocking on your car, that's not a good sign. <laughs> so what happened was that at the same time, another guy came around the, the driver's side and put his arm through the front window, opened the back door, and grabbed the bag. A bag that actually had a drone in there, had some cash in there, and some documents. But because we had these um, black windows, they couldn't see that a third guy was sitting in the back. So Michael was basically holding to the back, <laughs> while Dean was flicking the car into neutral, flicked up his knife. I stepped out as well with my knife, and I just heard him screaming like, fucking come at me, bro! It was it was really really funny. I've never seen two Africans running that fast away from us. Um, they were both knit. We were really lucky that day that they didn't have any kind of weapons or whatever. And um, I think yeah, everyone else in the traffic jam just like had a really big laugh. Three built white guys running around with knives and screaming. Jeez, my gosh, there's like blood diamond stuff going on here. Knives so, out, yeah, man. Sheesh. So if I understand, he reached through the driver's side, opened the back door, opened that and was trying to steal stuff. Exactly. And he had the back. It was literally on the back seat. So he had the back and just, I just heard Mike was like, hey, I'm like, what the fuck is going on like this? Uh, it, it was really, really fast, to be honest. I do think they just tried it. Like they just walked through and said like, oh, yeah, cool. There's like, uh, I mean, we have we had a very hilarious car with a lot of stickers and stuff on it. So yeah. they clearly knew it were tourists and just give it a crack. Wow. And was Nairobi the most dangerous place you were at during your trip? Uh, I do think South Africa is much more dangerous, but it's also it's only the cities and only if you don't know how to behave. So don't walk around at night. Don't go out and drink a lot or something. Um, taxis and stuff are so cheap. So just get that stuff, play on the safe side. Then you are usually fine. And so speaking of danger, I know some, most people or some people will have this perception that it's dangerous in Africa. Based on your experiences, would you uh, argue that or would you say it's actually a lot safer than people assume? 
I think if you use common sense, it is probably much more safer than, than everyone would guess. That's specifically for the East Coast. I've heard stories about the, the Western Africa side as well. Mm-hmm. Don't know about that, but um, yeah, we definitely did not have a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. That's good. I, I think that's, that's uh, a little su- uh, surprising or actually good news as well. And uh, what about encounters with police and military? You did mention a little bit about bribery, um, which I, I I used to finally in Thailand. I like I, I was like, oh, this doesn't happen, and then it happened to me, and I was like, oh, okay, that's not fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are what are? Do you, do you have any encounters with police or, or or military over there? So in Africa, you will you will not drive an hour without hitting a, basically a roadblock with the police in there. So every hour they will have a police check mm-hmm. and it's quite funny so we had a lot of stickers on the car and one was a guy flexing and it just said something with, with a crown on it and it said something like king nicholas so really ridiculous and um i, st- I still remember like a couple of cops they they just they look at the car first and then so it comes along and then like they have a look at the stickers and so we do we put down the window and they just see us and they're like whoa white boys and <laughs> uh, they just can't <laughs> believe it and then uh, so they ask you, oh, where? So they, they shake in everyone's hand. It's like, oh, so cool. Where are you from and stuff? And they go like, where are you going? And you go like, <laughs> Egypt. And um, not a problem. If you say that in Sudan, it's quite obvious. But like in, in South Africa, we're like, what, Egypt? And um, really, really cool people. Also, the, the military, they were super friendly. We got asked a couple of times like for money, but just don't play the game. We've heard, so they are connected uh, between each other. If you pay one, you're going to pay, you're going to pay, you're going to pay. Mm-hmm. We just always said like, oh, yeah, we don't have money. Then they said dollars. We just say like, oh, I'm not from the U.S. I don't have dollars. Mm-hmm. Or they say like, oh, um, food. And we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're also hungry. Like we didn't have anything <laughs> since breakfast. You're like, where? Where is it? <laughs> I just, just play dumb. It fucking works. We had to bribe two times, but it was because we actually – not committed a crime, like, yeah, we, we were driving a bit stupidly and stuff like this. So then we couldn't argue with it, and they would just put the money straight into their pocket. But it's okay. You can negotiate them down, and usually you're fine with, like, $20 or something. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, um, most of the guys that ask you are actually on the borders. And they are – so when they say they are hungry and you give them a banana, they are all right. <laughs> <laughs> Go through. <laughs> oh, my God. That's that's pretty funny. Uh, so just to wrap up the discussion on, on danger, in which ways would you say Africa is dangerous or is not dangerous? I do think it is dangerous in terms of traffic if you're driving yourself. Back home in Europe, we got the street lights. Uh-huh. In Africa, it's dark. Yeah. It is so hard to spot anything, animals, people, whatever. Um, so you basically look for shoes or anything that reflects. Uh, we had a couple of really, really near misses. And people, I don't know, in some countries, where was that? That was Kenya. We were driving 400 kilometers on daylight from the coast to into the inland and we saw 15 head-on collisions of trucks. So because wow. they just overtake on blind rises, corners, whatever, they just go for it. And you're like, My, I, I can't really get it. Like, if it would work at least, cool. But 15 <laughs> trucks, like, in that single day prove you wrong. Um, so I do think if you drive yourself, it is, it is dangerous to be honest. It is, uh, try to avoid driving through the night Mm -hmm. and yeah, that's probably the biggest danger that you will come across. 
Mm-hmm. And if you're going to recommend a certain amount of countries uh, to visit uh, based on the ones that you've been to, which ones would you recommend to go to? Uh, definitely the three southern ones. So um, South Africa, Namibia, and Botswana. Okay. Uh, that's a good chuck. So you will be doing this for probably like two months. Then you've seen everything there. It's really, really nice. Uh, we'll probably do Egypt and Sudan in a, in one bit. Yeah, that's probably. And then you can do like Tanzania, Kenya, and maybe Rwanda, Uganda. Like so, they are all around the Victoria Lake. And uh, would you recommend this for younger people or older travelers or everyone in general? And the reason why it's mainly older people is because they got the money, and you you can do it very very cheaply, but then you won't get anything out of it. So. It's hard as, uh, if you're young. You can do it if you got contact somewhere in Africa so that they can organize the car. That's that's probably the most important thing. And if you are willing to put down a chunk of money. But to be honest, like, so for the 10 grand that we spend per person or 7 grand, you can live off a year in Asia, very, very good life and not eating tuna every day. So <laughs> if I was young and I would have not traveled anywhere, I would probably start something easy like Southeast Asia and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if you definitely then at some point, if you're going for more adventurous stuff, go for Africa. But it needs much more preparation and uh, more vigilance, being aware of, of your situation. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. Yeah. And so what was your perception of like everyday life of how Africans live and based on what we see in movies or in the media, was it the same? Was it different? I think you have to, to differentiate between the people that live in the city. Cause they often have exactly the same jobs as we do. Like a lot of them are actually like programming or whatever Then you have the cleaning people and stuff like this. Um, but the, especially the farmers were very, very different. So, if you would see it just like this, you would probably say they are kind of like lazy-ish, depending on, probably also on the season, because if they got to work in a field, I do think they work really hard the entire day. Um, so they're often walking around with their machetes because uh, they use it as tools. Mm-hmm. But I do think they they also, well, it's, it's also hot, to be honest. I mean, it's on the equator, so they will have a big break during the day laying down, resting a little bit, doing something in the morning, doing something in the evening. And a lot of that time, I have the feeling is really like visiting other people, doing community stuff, just hanging out with friends. And um, it's a bit different. Hard to say with the movies, but yeah, I think they are really generally happy people. Like I've never seen so many people smiling and they are extremely young. Um, I've never seen so many kids and like, um, teenagers running around like in Africa. It is, it is great. Like back home, you don't have that. And, um, it is definitely, they have really, really young countries. Yeah. They, they have one of the highest birth rates. Uh, so that's probably why you saw so many of these kids as opposed yeah. to, Asia, you know, South Korea and Japan have such low birth rates. Um, so that's, that's probably one of the reasons. And um, so as your journey was going out through the five months, did your perception of Africa change? I kind of like I started noticing difference between the countries because at the beginning, it's like in Asia here when I started here, they were all yeah. the same to me, to be honest. Couldn't really see if someone was friendly or not. That's what I really liked. So in, in the end, like you could definitely see uh, the differences between the country and they're like, oh, you, you're from there, you're from there. I do think that I got a generally pretty positive view of africa in general now 
Um, I had no idea that it was great. I fucking love it to just like go and you don't even know anything about the countries and you just got all these impressions. And um, I do think actually it turned out much better than I actually ever expected. Mm-hmm. So definitely yes, and especially to be honest, the the animals. That's for me the number one reason to visit Africa. I didn't expect that. I've seen stuff beforehand in the zoo and stuff, but if you see these animals live, man, you don't have that in the rest of the world. Yeah, and so we had a question. Uh, someone asked, like, if I was going to uh, somebody said, if I wanted to travel Africa, where should I start? Definitely with Africa Light, so South Africa, Botswana, and Namibia. Mm-hmm. Easiest way, easy to get there, cheap, and they do have everything that the rest more or less has as well. All right, well that's that there. Uh, so we're just gonna while we're wrapping things up here, uh, I wanted to know what were your top three moments uh, throughout the trip. What were some moments that really kind of were like when you think about, were like, yes, that was a great moment that made my heart sing. I enjoyed it. So one definitely was the was the crocodile bite. To be honest, like um spotless straight the first day you see this, it's like yeah nah, <laughs> just a guy got got bitten by a crocodile. Um, <clears throat> the other one was that's probably my favorite story. So we did all this planning, and Michael had that clever plan. Okay, we're gonna be there and there and there and there. And um, the question was, where are we gonna spend Christmas and New Year's? Because we wanna get pissed. Yeah. Uh, we wanna have party. So there were two options. It was either Sudan or Ethiopia. And we were like, okay, Sudan, it's a Muslim country. We don't know if they drink, if they, I don't know. So yeah, let's go for Ethiopia. What we didn't know is that Ethiopia uses a completely different calendar. So they are actually stuck in 2012. <laughs> so um, we went over there. And uh, so there was no Christmas because it was, I think, like three or four weeks later. Uh-huh. I don't know, Christmas party calls, so we had a <laughs> little drink, and uh, th- there was literally no one there. And um, then same was for the New Year's. We went to the mountains, met a couple of people that we met a couple of days earlier in the hostel. Everyone brought their guards because you needed a guard for the bad people. So we had an old guy with an AK with us. It was really, it was really, really cool. So um, it, we were like, f- first we were like, okay how does that guy want to protect us? Like he was probably mid fifties kind of a thing. And then he was like, he didn't speak English. So he was like, and that like pull over there. That's my house. So he stopped <laughs> and, he got, and he got his AK and we're like, whoa, that's a man. <laughs> um, so he was, uh, we, we're still not too sure if it was a dangerous area or not, or if it was just a measurement to employ people, but it, he was great. Um, and we couldn't really, communicate with him because he didn't speak english obviously so on the whole way up there whenever we saw an animal we would make the sound of the animal so like a cow like then we would make the sound of the gun and then we would be like and he would laugh all the time (laughs) while we're making the intro video i actually love that part of the video you guys have the gopro where he walks in with the gun and all of you guys are like (laughs) the fuck is this No, it was um, it was really cool. So I found it so hilarious that we fucked it up basically with this um, not having a New Year's and nothing. So we but we basically did a time travel. So we went from 2019 to 2004 and then to 2020. I still think it's uh, it's quite a funny story for for what it is. Uh, the second question I have for you uh, for a travel tribe toss up: What was the most dangerous thing that happened to you? Um, 
I think the elephants probably. Mm-hmm. So, because you don't see them and they charge your car. And there was this very funny situation in, it was right at the beginning. Um, I think it was Zambia. So, it was kind of like a bridge coming down. And there were a couple of guys on their bikes, uh, like on their bicycles, 20, 30 people waiting there. And we were like, what the fuck is this? And what happened is close to it was a pipeline and the elephants just smashed the pipeline to drink out of that, to, to drink the water out of it. So these guys were all so afraid of the, of the, of the elephants that they would wait until a truck would basically come pass by so that they could use the truck as a shield for the elephants. And um, we later found out that actually the elephants killed that month alone three or four people. So um, they just charge you. As soon as they got kids around, you definitely don't want to be close to them. And they flip cars. They they go really, really crazy. A couple of times, yeah, elephants were really, really close to where we were. And we just had to floor it and fucking try, like, stay in lane with the car. And yeah. Are they, are they doing anything to contain the elephants or are they just kind of living with, with just, <laughs> man, an elephant took off my car again. Man, that sucks. Get a new one, right? <laughs> that's that's basically, um, I do think the, a lot of locals tried to hunt them. Uh-huh. Now they kind of like, they started some kind of projects where they tried to uh, teach the, the locals the benefits of the elephants so that more tourists come over and stuff like this. But um, it's a big problem. I mean, yeah, sure. If you constantly... Uh, getting threatened by an elephant that comes to your backyard to drink some water. You don't want them around. But um, that's also what I like about Africa. So it's just so easy, to be honest, to die there. Because back home in in Europe, like, you got all these safety regulations. And, like, everyone's like, oh, don't go there. Don't go near that waterfall and stuff like this. In Africa, no one cares. It's like, well, if you die, that's your fucking problem, mate. Like, um, you know that there are animals. It's dangerous. Like, don't be stupid. Jeez. And... That's crazy. I didn't see you saying, I thought you were going to say, like, it's so easy to get around or so easy. Like, it's so easy to die. There. I kind of felt the same way about Australia. Man. It's like every bug, insect, snake, spider is out. Jellyfish is out to get you. <laughs> You're like dead. <laughs> Basically, yes. Yeah. Wow. Crazy story about the elephants. I had no idea that that was a thing. We have, we have like deer in, in, in my uh, hometown. And like, that's what you got to watch out for on the roads. But elephants, that's a whole nother ballgame. So you guys are on Facebook. Uh, I believe you guys are at, the, at We Drive Africa. So if you guys want to check out uh, some of their adventures, I know they just posted a little uh, uh, trailer video of some of their adventures. Um, feel free to follow them on Facebook. If you have any questions, uh, as Don mentioned, you can go ahead and reach out to him. He'll be more than happy to help you uh, with uh, any questions for that. Um, so Dom, thank you so much for being on the show. I enjoyed it. It was o- eye-opening for me. I haven't had a chance to visit some of these countries in Africa. Sounds like a great thing to do once this whole pandemic passes. And I thank you so much for taking the time to share your stories, your tips and tricks, and the hilarious Dom uh, being here. So thank you so much, man, and enjoy your island life. <laughs> Well, that does it for this week's episode of Travel Tribe Podcast. Join us each Tuesday as we release new episodes with great adventures. Until then, remember, the most dangerous thing you can do in life is to play it safe. Stay adventurous.